someone is at work in your depression, while we want to do some things that can help you with your depression, our ultimate goal isn't necessarily that it go away. And when people get into the mindset of that is my goal and it doesn't go away, guess what? That depression turns into despair and hopelessness. But he's pointing to something that I think we have lost in our culture, this idea of steadfastness and perseverance. Uh, You were talking earlier about the younger generations kind of using these terms flippantly, but they don't realize they're using it flippantly. Right. They really think that Mm -hmm. their threshold is so low that once they feel uncomfortable, they've just experienced trauma. And so they've got to get get away from the trauma or we have to build them safe spaces in the universities or whatever the culture is coming up with. And Paul's saying, let your attitude be one of joy because God is at work and he is seeking to test and strengthen your faith with which produces a capacity to persevere and be steadfast in the midst of suffering and then there's this beautiful ultimate outcome that i think biblical counseling is very much centered on that we may be perfect and complete lacking nothing Welcome to Speak the Truth. And before we get into our next episode, I'd like to share with you the 2020 Call to Counsel National Conference brought to you by the Association of Biblical Counselors. The conference kicks off April 23rd through the 25th at Doxology Bible Church located in Fort Worth, Texas. This year's specialized tracks include Introduction to Biblical Counseling, Depression, Domestic Abuse, Addiction, Post-Traumatic Stress Disorder, Marriage, and Anxiety. Registration is open, so please register today at Call to Counsel Welcome to Speak the Truth, a podcast devoted to giving biblical truth for educating, equipping, and encouraging the individual and local church in counseling and discipleship. Hello, hello, hello. We are back for this second episode in our little mini series on understanding, unpacking the culture of the DSM and the psychologized culture that we're all too familiar with. And in this episode, we want to focus on really getting into major depressive episodes, bipolar, manic depression, things like that, where we can actually do a side-by-side comparison of what the DSM would attribute to and then what basically the biblical counseling through scripture, uh, basically looking at both lenses, determining the biblical worldview of it. But at the same time, having the understanding of the DSM, which kind of speaks to what we were really getting into our last episode when we were understanding what the DSM is, not promoting it, but understanding its vernacular, uh, its view, the lens in which it operates from, so on and so forth. And so that's what we're going to be getting into this episode. Shauna, how are you doing? I'm good. Yeah. This is a major, major topic. Yes, it is. Serious a Serious episode. Yes, it is. It's very serious. Jeremy, how are we doing? I'm doing great. Thank you. What if we were to say we're doing horrible? Then we would, uh, we would have an episode, pun intended, where we would uh, do some on, we would do some episode counseling. Sometimes perhaps. I just wonder those who listen to us, like what they're actually thinking when you like, ask that. Are they, they do the wah, wah yeah. sound effects when yeah. they're listening or sometimes. Or your hello, hello, hello. Apparently, uh, <laughs> you have some conversations where you hear that. Right. What, you think you're starting a trend? Like the Matthew McConaughey? No. Right, well, all right, it, all right. Uh, I would never be as cool as Matthew McConaughey in that. However. To me, you are. Uh, look at your standard. I like your standard. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Your hair's not as greasy as his. Really? Yeah. I don't know. 
he transformed his look several times in some different movies. That's for sure. We Speaking gotta, of, we, we, we got us, we, we got it. We can't talk negative about him though. He's a Texan now, right? He's at UT with your son, Jerry. He's at UT. Right? My son yeah. actually saw him. Yeah, he did. Mm-hmm. He like him? just walking around campus like any other person. Well, well he, he was, he was on a golf cart going to some event and he gave him high five. My son was excited. Yeah. Oh, pretty cool. yeah, <laughs> yeah. That is cool. That's why people love him because he's just, I mean, he's just like another dude. Yeah. yeah. He, he doesn't let the fame get to his head. So before mm-hmm. we get all serious, I got to talk about a challenge that I'm already having this year. Okay. It's is this note, an episode? It's a note taking. Oh, so I'm really struggling going to paper to paperless. You're, you're struggling from paper to paperless. Yes. Okay. Like, I don't know if anybody's out there that's like this old school, like I always just take notes and what we, we were watching the brain games on Netflix the other day on like, if you're a right brain or, no, or left brain note taker, and I'm so a right brain, which is like random notes throughout all the paper. It's like a chaotic note taking, but just with like the task list and everything, it's just getting really crazy where I'm trying to find apps and things to help organize my notes because it's just getting really messy. Yeah. What have y'all found that helped? Anything? Well, our practice just went to paperless as well. I know. And everyone's doing a great job transitioning except for me. Yeah, yeah you're, so. a, you're a paper pencil guy, yeah. Yes, very much paper pencil. But the system that we use... I can take my notes and then take a picture of my notes and upload it into the paperless and then shred the note. Okay. But then what do you do for the follow-up session? Do you, so to me, you can go back and look at your notes. Yeah. But see, like I would want to print it and then have it it in front of me. It's like, you can do that. Oh, but that's so hard. Is it, why is it so hard to retrain yourself in that way? I'm struggling there too. Like it's like a a random. Well, you've processed information that way for a really long time and to, all of a sudden disrupt that and try a different way is yeah nerve wracking for sure. I'm really liking the agenda app yeah, that's that is. helped with just like regular notes throughout like the job and the different ministries and stuff that I'm a part of, but I'm still trying to learn that. Cause it's like a new, when, you know, when you start something new, it's not just a new process, but you got to learn the new everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The agenda the, app is really a very difficult. good app. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I don't know if anybody else has any recommendations out there, send us a, yeah, send you us could, an uh, email, like, yeah. Topics at speak the truth.org. Mm-hmm. Share your insights. So this is, that's so little compared to what we're about to talk about, but yeah, well it is, but it isn't. So for the counselor, right. Uh, who may be taking notes and dealing with unpacking these type of things with the DSM and specifically, uh, we want to talk about major depressive episode and, uh, again, provide a, a DSM, uh, criteria for major depressive episode versus a biblical explanation for major depressive episode. So, so random really quick though, yeah. Jeremy, what's the software that you use? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure people ask it's that. It's a great software called, called simple practice, simple practice, HIPAA compliant. So, okay. Simple practice. We use Theranest. We use so those are two very similar. If anybody, is it? out there that's very morning. similar um, yeah that's okay 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 cool, cool. All, right, all right so jeremy i'm gonna let you start in the world in which you find yourself um not saying you use this but you're obviously familiar with it um starting with the dsm and the major depressive episode the criteria for it so if we could just provide just kind of what is major depressive you know 
disorder. And then, you know, we can obviously get into this because just really quick, for those of you who are um, ABC members, Association of Biblical Counselor members, uh, this is actually available at, uh, if you go to christiancounseling.com and you log in in the back office, all of this stuff is available. Um, I would encourage you maybe when you're in a place where you can get on your computer, pull up this episode and then pull up um, the, the, Un- the unpacking. Yeah. The, the documents, which is unpacking. And then they also, uh, we also have, um, kind of the conversation around it. So it's getting into the nature and scope of what it is and then providing a a parallel of what we're, and that's really kind of what we're doing in this episode is we're not going to get into the the nature and scope of it in terms of, you know, the really exhaustive, um, which the article goes into a pretty, pretty good lengthy uh, just discussion around what that looks like versus what we're actually doing in the uh, comparison of it. So it's, you know, you know, what's interesting to me is like when I struggled with depression before and we were, would have conversations around it and the whole like disorder word always like rubbed me the wrong way just from a personal standpoint of just how I felt like I didn't want to connect to that word at all right Mm. you just don't want to think of yourself in that way and so it's interesting to me like just remembering my own like personal, you know, story and just kind of filling that word and applying it to kind of what I was going through. But what's so interesting to me is like how to me, if you're just sad, you're depressed. Do you know what I mean? Like how, how, uh, flippant, is that the word I flippant? flippant. The the words have become today to where, you know, Oh, I'm, I'm struggling with PTSD, but like, do people really understand and how we're going to try to unpack these types of terminology so we can grab a hold of, I think even just from a biblical counseling church standpoint, we need to understand it like the, the first episode, we tried to break it down. But on another level of of those that are just using it randomly, and there's not really truth being able to weed that out very quickly, right? Give them new terms to use and stuff. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I don't know if that might be helpful in our episode today too, but. Yeah. Well, that's why this is helpful is, you know, when we hear people using, you know, these, these labels, as we kind of uh, tag them last episode, these labels, when they use them flippantly to actually like, do you, do you know what that is? Cause I actually heard Dustin use that. He's our 18 year old. He kind of used uh, PTSD kind of like in that flippant way. Um, and I was like, do you know what that means? He's like, sort of. He just knew it, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. he just had a very generic, superficial understanding of it. And, you know, it's just we're basically we use it hyperbolically. Yeah. Right. And then versus really, truly understanding the, the real nature of, of, of what that is. So in yeah, that. Pass the mic to the smart one in the room. Yeah, Jeremy. <laughs> well, I, li- I like uh, you're bringing up there, Shauna, this word disorder. You know, that even begins to bump up against a biblical perspective of existence. We as humans experience sadness. We experience sorrow. There are times when we are less motivated than we ought to be. And our our lens would say, to a large degree, often those things are happening because we live in a fallen universe. So it's really, when we experience those things, it's kind of in order with what is yeah. versus disorder because we understand there's a fall. We understand that the, the depravity of of uh, all things really has an impact mentally as well as emotionally. That is a word that is uh, very much used in uh, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. Uh, I do want to say as we go over these lists here um, that what we're looking at would be the DSM-4 TR, which was the version right before the DSM-5. And so the DSM-5 is going to be very similar on these, uh, but it it breaks out bipolar a bit more than what the DSM-4 did. But I think these are still very helpful and relevant when we when we 
when someone enters into our counseling office or just into our lives Mm -hmm. that's been diagnosed by a clinician with major depressive disorder. What that means from a clinical perspective is that they would would be exhibiting several of the symptoms that I'm about to read. I think I'm going to read eight eight symptoms. They would not exhibit necessarily all eight symptoms. I can't remember the exact criteria in the, in the, the DSM, but they would have three or four of these. Okay. For a specific period of time, I think it was like two weeks or something like that, which differentiates, you know, I could have a, um, insomnia or hyper insomnia for two days, as well as several of other of these for a couple of days. But if it if it subsides in a couple of days, that would not be a criteria right. for major depressive. So here they are, um, major depressive episode, okay? So in, in order to be diagnosed with a major depressive disorder, you would have to have a major depressive episode, and it would consist of uh, several of these symptomologies. Depressed mood most of the day, nearly every day, as indicated by either subjective report, I feel sad or I feel empty, or observations made by others. Number two, markedly diminished interest or pleasure in all or almost all activities most of the day, nearly every day. Number three, significant weight loss when not dieting or substantial weight gain. Number four, insomnia or hyperinsomnia nearly every day. Uh, So not being able to sleep or sleeping too much. Number five, fatigue or loss of energy every day. Number six, feelings of worthlessness or excessive or inappropriate guilt, which may be delusional nearly every day. Number seven, diminished ability to think or concentrate or indecisiveness nearly every day. And then finally, number eight, recurrent thoughts of death, recurrent suicidal ideation without a specific plan or a suicide attempt or a specific plan of attempting suicide. And so if a person were to come to a clinician and exhibit uh, three or four of these for an extended period of time, they might be labeled with major depressive disorder. Now, I want to I jump in before we kind of look at this from another angle. When I was first coming into biblical counseling, actually, I, I, I wasn't coming into biblical counseling. I landed in an internship at a center that embraced biblical counseling, and I didn't know it. Uh, and in my first interview as an intern, when they asked me uh, what I thought about nuthetic counseling, I pretty much uh, trashed nuthetic counseling and said I would never operate that way. And I think it's a very simplistic motive. Well, the first book they gave me once they hired me, I have no idea why they hired me after that interview. But the first book they gave me was Jay Adams, Competent to Counsel. Mm-hmm. And it was at that point I realized, uh oh, where am I? And my supervisor said, you're going to have to take a lot of what you have been learning in your master's program and put it to the side, and I want you to begin to learn how to look at people through a theological lens. And I remember reading through that book, seeing sanctification and justification and all these words. I'm like, what does this have to do with counseling? And I wrestled for a good while because I was not a biblical counseling advocate at the time. But as I stayed at at this center, probably the second month I was there, I had to go to a, a mandatory training offered by the director. And it was there that he introduced this idea of unpacking diagnoses. Because that was one of my struggles with the biblical counseling world is the Bible doesn't mention major depressive disorder. It doesn't men- mention bipolar disorder. So uh, it, it's irrelevant to those areas. And um, when after I got through with these lectures of unpacking uh, diagnosis, that's when I began to turn a big corner and realize the relevance of the Bible uh, on these big labels that psychiatrists come up with. No, that's good. That's, a, that's awesome. I'm just thankful that the Lord revealed the truth to you. Me too. Because then from there, just look how he's multiplied that. Mm-hmm. So good. 
Yeah, that is good. And so with with those, like if again, if somebody were to uh, exhibit these uh, these criteria, then they would be uh, given the major depressive uh, disorder. Um, and now biblically, you know, comparatively speaking, what does this look like with the biblical lens? And so following that kind of thought process of symptoms, um, um, biblical descriptors that more accurately describe the spiritual issues that foster behaviors and thinking of that nature would be, uh, for example, and I'll, and I'll mention these here uh, in the same way that Jeremy mentioned those eight on the uh, major depressive episode side on the DSM. Biblically, depression, hopelessness, worry, selfishness, double-minded, misplaced trust, pride, depravity, or sin, grief, and then idolatry such as, for example, peace at all costs, significance, symptom relief, security, and control. So when we, you know, for, for as believers, we we can hear those words and we, we completely, uh, like right out of the gate, understand those. And so kind of, Jeremy, to what you were saying in your experience where, okay, if, the, if it's not explicitly stated in scripture, then it doesn't deal with it. It's, it's not relevant. Right. Um, and that's exactly why we want to take this time to, to look at this because scripture deals with this stuff. So the way that the DSM kind of handles this idea of depression or depressive episode, if you look at the Psalms or you look at, you know, you look at some of the prophets um, and how they exhibited and you read throughout scripture and you see the way that man deals with circumstances in life, it's hard. And because Jeremy, like you mentioned with the reality of living in a fallen world, these things will be exhibited and it's all about how how we respond to these things. And so, you know, with that framework, we know that a lot of this is a response of, you know, really responding in our sin. Um, double-mindedness, for example, um, you know, being being told of God's, of a God, of a God, excuse me, of God's promise where uh, we understand it. And then we have an opportunity to actually rest in uh, his promise. But, you know, we start getting doubtful and we worry, well, that's double-minded and we, we begin to exhibit these things. And so when you actually take the time to sit down and kind of, uh, you know, in the same way that you would use a parallel Bible to to, to look at scripture and you kind of do the same thing with this DSM and the biblical side of things, you can kind of see based on their symptomologies, um, scripture reveals kind of the same thing. They just use different terminology. That's correct. Yeah. In reality, when you look at these words, it's, it's kind of like we, we all are major depressive. I mean, do you really? not like feel the fact that. Yeah, we all have these is, episodes. Yeah, this is all we all suffer in this way. And, and, you know, it's interesting is, again, like how we expect that we should feel happy and joy and, and you know, have this blessed life when in reality, like this, this right there is our reality from the result of sin. So right. The, the fact that that God even gives us healing from these things, um, that's where the joy comes in, yeah. how, how loving our God is. And, and I think also something that's very, very important for us as biblical counselors is our our ultimate aim in counseling is probably going to look a lot different than a psychiatrist who would be relying heavily on a DSM, a diagnostic and statistical manual. And so the typical protocol, which we're, again, we're not opposed to this. Uh, I do think it it is myopic um, if this is the only perspective that we bring into the picture. Um, but the idea is when you go to a psychiatrist, is they're gonna they're gonna look through their manual as they have assessed you and see which of these disorders most apply, and then there is a diagnosis given, and then what is given after that medication. And so that that gives us an idea of the goal of the treatment, and it's to make you no longer depressed. And again, as obviously as people who love others, we want to help people so they're not depressed. But we also understand that that's not a promise in the Bible. <laughs> it, just because you follow certain steps 
biblically doesn't mean your depression's going away. So we have to be able to offer something much bigger. And so you you see an, an interesting passage in the book of James. We're probably all very familiar with this, uh, but James isn't saying uh, when there's struggle, find a way out. He says in verse two, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness instead, let steadfastness have its full effect so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And so when we're experiencing trials, whether they're uh, circumstantial or mental trials, like uh, a heavy depression, James is pointing us to the reality. Someone is at work. Someone is at work in your depression. While we want to do some things that can help you with your depression, our ultimate goal isn't necessarily that it go away. And when people get into the mindset of that is my goal and it doesn't go away, guess what? That depression turns into despair and hopelessness. But he's pointing to something that I think we have lost in our culture, this idea of steadfastness and perseverance. Uh, You were talking earlier about the younger generations kind of using these terms flippantly, but they don't realize they're using it flippantly. Right. They really think that Mm -hmm. their threshold is so low that once they feel uncomfortable, they've just experienced trauma. And so they've got to get get away from the trauma or we have to build them safe spaces in the universities or whatever the culture is coming up with. And Paul's saying, let your attitude be one of joy because God is at work and he is seeking to test and strengthen your faith, with which produces a capacity to persevere and be steadfast in the midst of suffering. And then there's this beautiful ultimate outcome that I think biblical counseling is very much centered on, that we may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Mm-hmm. And I, when I interpret that in the context of other parts of the Bible, I'm perfect and complete, lacking nothing. The more and more and more I am reflecting the image of Christ and navigating in this fallen life the way he would navigate. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, what's interesting is what the author is saying in the book of James is that's his interpretation. In other words, these things are going to happen yes. where we observe it. It's going to happen to us. Um, and, and again, this is where the difference lies is they, you know, when I say they meaning uh, modern psychology is when they acknowledge these symptoms, they want to that, Hey, this is all external. It's happening to you. So it's causing something within you. So here's something to help remedy or, yes. um, you know, create some, you know, that it would subside in some fashion. Um, and that's the response. That's Mm -hmm. the way they deal with it. Where as the biblical counselor, that may, they may be on, you know, some medication, but we can actually begin to have those conversations with the heart because, um, a psych, a a psychologist, uh, or, um, a, a psychiatrist rather, isn't going to really spend a lot of time outside of understanding the symptoms, trying to counsel them. Mm hmm. That's not what they do. That's right. They get just enough data to make a judgment call on what they should offer you to help alleviate or subside or whatever uh, is going on. Um, uh, I actually have a friend who um, is a psychiatrist and she's, you know, she's a Christian, um, but she talks to her clients a little bit trying to understand the nature of their struggle because of her biblical worldview. So she still practices as a psychiatrist 
but she's trying to understand. So she's still using, um, you know, medications in a sense, but she's not putting her hope in the medication. Mm. Right. So yeah. it's, it's kind of that, you know, uh, really a, a holistic approach to caring for the person that, that she's seeing. So, uh, again, but, but how many times have you actually had someone, you know, where it, I guess it could be also a female thing where we're really stressed out and we're having anxiety and maybe loss of sleep. And, you know, you could go to the doctor and you could give them these symptoms and they're going to say, Hey, okay, well you need anxiety medicine. But from a biblical counseling standpoint and how we would want to help them is realizing that your body is giving you a red alert to slow down, right? That you're, you're trying to um, continue to work without the boundaries that God designed for you and do too much. And so the idea is saying, how can we walk them through the scripture, help them see like Ephesians saying, use the best use of your time, stewarding their time in a way that then that would allow them to not only live out the scripture, but then would alleviate the stress and anxiety that it's causing. If you then go and take the medicine to continue to operate the way that you are, you might feel better, but you still haven't changed walking out what scripture has called you to do. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And and this is why this is helpful is because as we understand, and when we say understand, that means unpacking this idea of modern psychology, the terminology that's used, the labels that we mentioned in, in the first episode, where as counselors, and we have people coming in that have been thrown those labels and wear those labels and are defeated by those labels, that we can interact with them. We can engage at that level, um, understand the terminology, talk in, in, in some ways, the same way that a psychologist would talk, but provide a, a greater hope than just managing something. That's right. And something that, you know, every counseling approach or every approach to, to the, the realm of mental wellness, if that's the phrase we want to use, has what we call an etiology. And an etiology is what's causing all this. And so in our culture, uh, the primary dominant perspective is what's causing all of this is a chemical issue in the brain. Okay. Um, And maybe there's some truth to that, but from a biblical perspective, our etiology is going to be a bit different. Yeah. And some people might question why in the world under major depressive disorder, would you dare put the word pride? Isn't that cruel? Um, well, in, in our equipped to counsel curriculum, uh, Dr. John Henderson has created a really good, uh, diagram showing how pride is associated, associated with major depression and mm-hmm. hopelessness. And basically out of the heart of pride mm-hmm. comes two things, fear and lust. And when we use the word lust, we're not talking just sexually. We're just talking about coveting something uh, to the point of sin Mm -hmm. or wanting something to the point of sin, which is coveting. And he does just a great job of showing how when when we're operating in this place of pride and lust, then life is about obtaining what we want. That can be security, control, significance, success in a job, or fear uh, living in such a way that we're operating to avoid what we are afraid of. And when we get caught in those cycles and they stop and and our our, um, mechanisms that we've developed to deal with, Mm -hmm. to get what we want or avoid what we fear, when those begin to fail, then we begin to experience uh, anger, uh, aggressive anger, um, passive anger. And that just gets worse and worse and worse until at some point a person begins to feel themselves in a depressed state. Yeah. So it's like it's, it's lust in obtaining that thing. 
Yes. Whatever the pursuit of it is and whatever that requires that pursuit to be in order to obtain it. Mm -hmm. And then the fear of losing it once you've obtained it. Yes. Um, and that that's huge. Um, because so so that's a very different etiology than I'm just a machine or a chemical, uh, being, and that's my ultimate problem. Yeah. Because a lot of times we do understand if, if we can get things, um, more aligned with truth that it can actually have a chemical impact on the brain, you Mm -hmm. know? So Mm -hmm. there's always the brain body, um, a brain spirit connection. Always, always, always. We're never going to deny that something physiological is, is at play. Uh, but we're, we as biblical counselors, we're going to really hone in on the heart, uh, the psyche, the soul of, of this person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I wonder with what you just said, and I think maybe that's one of those positions in terms of a, a you know, a secularist worldview when it comes to this and the lens that they would, and the, excuse me, the lens that they use versus a biblical lens where it's focusing on the issue and not knowing, okay, how, how am I, how, how am I handling this and, and, and giving this to, you know, the person to deal with and, and fostering uh, corrective behavior or whatever, or the three parts of mentally, physically, and just the chemical reality and the way that God has made us where are they all co-equal, mm. right? In other words, it, if it's a chemical imbalance, do we just, do we just uh, concede to, okay, that's what drives everything. Therefore the intellectual and the spiritual is all subservient to the chemical imbalance, Mm -hmm. or is it co-equal to where, okay, the chemical imbalance, it may be a secondary issue to to a more primary issue, you know, like thinking through causality and like how, how that, I don't know, thought, just kind of thinking through how how they view that, because it seems like when you start thinking about chemical imbalance, like that's the primary means or cause that drives everything else. I think though, for our churches and our biblical counselors, the goal is to really focus not on the chemical imbalance, but more so on the heart, kind of what Jeremy was saying. You know, one of the, the, um, biblical explanations that you listed here was say grief. Well, of course, if you lose someone and you're grieving in that, you're going to become, you know, depressive, right? Because you're mourning the loss of a loved one. That's a, that's a result of sin in the world, right? Death. And so of course that, but, but scripture speaks to that. We can show them those examples in the Bible and what it, what it looks like to mourn. And most people want to go back into their normal life and they don't give themselves the time to mourn. And they want to make themselves feel better immediately, right? So there's a huge part of us where I, I believe that we should encourage those that we walk uh, with to really allow themselves the time and do the necessary things within their world, right? Or like the decisions and schedules and things like that to really allow them to walk through these, say, depressive episodes where it's not necessarily always a negative thing that we need to fix, but more so things that we need to walk through. Like for me, when the struggling from the depression standpoint, it wasn't from any type of situation where we know grief can also come from just life transitions, which could be very well what I was walking through. But it wasn't necessarily, I remember the the sweetest part was when um, the Lord really revealed to me that it wasn't about me getting healing from the depression, but how I was walking with him through the depression. So I think that is such a good place for us to meet our counselors and, and for the church to care for their um, for for their members well in a way of saying, like, how are we walking alongside those who are suffering in this particular way? I think uh, when Jeremy was talking, he started talking about anger and fear, which probably could have moved us to the uh, the manic episode, the bipolar disorder, which is that kind of where we're going for the second Next episode. Up, yeah. Okay, awesome. 
Okay. Did you want to share um, some, some just in closing, just some things to drive people to uh, ChristianCounseling.com? And- well, I think you mentioned that earlier, you know, the, the handouts that we're really looking at and kind of speaking to is found on the ChristianCounseling.com website. You can become a member of ABC and we have tons of resources there already, but the exciting thing is, is we're going to be continuing to add new stuff all the time, uh, monthly, weekly, hopefully at some point. And so you can go to christiancounseling.com. Thank you.